Thank you. Well, I do have the privilege of starting our new series. We're going to be looking at this over the next uh, number of weeks, the next eight weeks. It's called Overcoming. Who here has had to overcome anything in their life? Hands up. Some of us have lived very easy, privileged lives. I think all of us have had to overcome something in our lives. Um, one of the things about overcoming things is when we get to the other side, it doesn't always seem quite as difficult. You know, that job, you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I found a job. But when you were job hunting, it did not seem easy, right? And then you landed the job, you've been in that position, it, it seems, you know, normal or settled. But we have had to overcome some things in our lives, most of us. Who here thinks that it is possible that there are more things for you to overcome. Maybe some new challenges, some personal growth coming up. Um, as we move in this series, uh, we're, we really want to be intentional about praying for you guys and having you know what you think that the Lord is actually calling you into, calling you to overcome and to grow in. So we're going to give you some opportunities to get, get prayer from us. We really want you guys to be thinking about what is the Lord calling me into, calling me to grow, and what's my challenge? What do I need to be overcoming? And we want to be intentional in praying for you as we continue in this series. I remember when I realized what my biggest challenge to overcome was. I was in my mid-20s, so I had overcome high school. I'd overcome college. I'd lived overseas for, for a while. I'd achieved some things. Um, and as I was you know, growing and figuring out who I was in my mid-20s, I was having all these strange emotions. Now, now, growing up, I'm sure I had emotions, right? I have lived with young children. They have plenty of emotions. But my, uh, my family system was very rational and, and intellectual. So if you had a problem, well, what's the rational point in having emotions over it? You, you figure it out with your intellect. You, you move on. Um, my mother had a fair number of emotions. That was basically the, the quota for the family system. And so I was in my mid-20s, and I was like, I would feel jealous about things. Like I could actually feel the jealousy in my body about things. I'm like, this is new. This has never happened to me. I would feel anger over things. I would feel frustration over little things that I had never felt before. I think it was you know, good as I grew and matured to actually experience emotions like that. But um, I was driving home from work one day, and I remember the spot I was on on the highway, the exit I had just just passed. Um, I was driving my, my Saturn, my little 2000 Saturn that was two colors by that point in time. We had had some additions to it. And I realized that my biggest challenge to overcome was going to be me. And it came as quite a shock to me. Maybe I was being naive. As we go through life, kind of the, the challenges are conceptualized as being external. In high school, the challenges are getting a good, good grades or, or making the team, getting into this college. I just always assumed that my challenge was, would be external. You know, at a job, figuring out this problem, making enough money, saving enough money, finding the right, right spouse, dealing with other people's problems. Not internal not figuring out my internal uh, weather system, not finding peace and joy in and of myself, not making peace with relationships just plain the way they were. I'd assumed that my internal stuff was just how it was, 
and that it was fundamentally how it was going to stay, and I was fundamentally okay. I realized that there were some things in and of myself that I had to overcome. This morning, we're going to talk about overcoming specifically insecurity, uncertainty, and anxiety. I probably don't have to tell you that anxiety is incredibly common and pervasive in society today.、Um, mental health professionals estimate that about 18% of the U.S. population has some, some form of anxiety <laughs> disorder. Ridiculously high standards leave us insecure about just about everything in life. You think about insecurity and you think about you know, the pretty girl in high school who just you know, has a pimple and worries that anyone else will notice this. But so many of us see our minor flaws and agonize. Over anyone else noticing these flaws in us. We, we work full time jobs, have full time kids, and, and we think that we can also make home cooked meals and, and clean the house and manage our bills and have a beautiful lawn. Oh, and on top of that, we should definitely be exercising. Oh, and have a social life. Get out, have fun, see your extended family a lot, right? All on top of. Full time jobs and full time kids. You know, worry and stress are certainly nothing new, but I think they've gotten very finely tuned, very nuanced in our materialistic, competitive society. There's these nagging doubts, they're the what ifs. We're surrounded by so much, we just want, we want more. This morning, I want to talk about setting up our lives on solid. Ground. We want to have places of confidence and security from which we can build happy and settled lives. I think of insecurity and, and uncertainty like living out of a suitcase. We all like to travel, right? It's fun to go to new places. Who here likes to stay at a different you know, relative's house or hotel and pack and unpack every night? <laughs> one hand, wow, one hand. You know, my husband's from Ohio, and I, I lived in Ohio before I met him for a while. So when we, we visit Ohio, we make kind of like a grand tour throughout the whole state. We'll start where, where I lived, you know, spend one day there, where my husband grew up, one day there. Finally, we'll, we'll come to Columbus, where most of our, our friends are. And、uh, I get so excited because we'll stay somewhere. Like four nights, and I get my own drawer, a whole drawer, all to myself. And I lay out my clothes nice and neatly, and you know, I have it all organized in this one drawer. And I get so excited because I'm not going to have to search for my toothbrush every morning. I know where stuff is, I have my, my space, everything's organized and laid out. It's hard to live out of a suitcase, packing and unpacking things get changed up, switched up on you. It's annoying, it's frustrating. Living out of a suitcase has some benefits, but we have to have that home base, that place where we, we come home to. Emotionally and spiritually, it's great to travel. It's, it's fine to question, it, it's good to explore, we want to grow, but we have to have a home base, someplace where we are safe and secure, where we know where things are. Where we don't have to hunt for things. We don't have to evaluate everything and question and, and evaluate. We need emotional and spiritual places of security. As Christians, our confidence in God 
and our security in what Jesus has done for us. Give us a stability from which we can flourish. When we are really secure in our faith, when we are confident and stable, then we have a foundation. We have a foundation from which we, we can we can flourish, we can explore, we can grow, but we need that place. We need to know what we can rely on 100% and what we can depend on. We have a dependable God, and more than that, we know how God feels about us. God is not sitting on the fence trying to make up his mind about us. God does not have better things to do His mind is made up. He loves us, and we are the center of his attention. And he wants us to establish those emotional and spiritual places of security and trust this morning. So let's pray together as we turn to our passage. And Jesus, this morning, we just pause and we, uh, we evaluate, Jesus, what, what in our lives can we depend on? What are we trusting on? What can we rely on? And Jesus, we give you places in our lives where we do feel insecure. We give you places in our lives where we don't feel confident, Jesus. We thank you that we can find our home in you. We ask this morning that we would just feel really settled and at peace and confident in our relationship with you, Jesus. Bring your love. Let us know how you feel about us this morning. We open our hearts and our minds to you this morning. Would you speak to us from your word? In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, This morning we're going to be in the letter of John starting in chapter 3. See how much our Father loves us, for he calls us his children, and that is what we are. But the people who belong to this world don't recognize that we are God's children because they don't know him. You are God's child. It doesn't matter what other people think about this. Dear friends, we are already God's children, but he has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. If you feel underwhelmed as God's child, there is more to come. But we know that we will be like him, for we will see him as he really is. And all who have this eager expectation will keep themselves pure just as he is pure. We have something to look forward to. Don't undermine it. Keep yourselves pure. Wait for it. And then I want to turn back a little bit to uh, chapter 2. We learned the whole point of why uh, this letter is written. I am writing to you who are God's children because your sins have been forgiven through Jesus. I am writing to you who are mature in the faith because you know Christ who existed from the beginning. I'm writing to you who are young in the faith because you have won your battle with the evil one. I'm writing to you who are God's children because you know the Father. I have written to you who are mature in the faith because you know Christ who existed from the beginning. He's repeating himself. I have written to you who are young in the faith because you are strong. You may feel weak, but you are strong. 
God's word lives in your hearts and you have won your battle with the evil one. During the next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking at this letter that John wrote. John was one of the disciples of Jesus, follower of Jesus. He wrote this letter. And John sat down and wrote this for a pretty specific purpose. There were some other religious teachers running around and teaching things that were different from what John and the the other apostles were teaching. John actually calls them false teachers. That's I think that's a little uptight of you, John. So they, they, they had a different opinion. What's the big deal? Lots of Christians have different opinions. Uh, God's a big mystery. There, there's, room for, um, the, there's room for some different opinions. But here's the problem. They were teaching very different things about who Jesus was and what he had done. If we think that Jesus wasn't really God. Like Jesus was just a good teacher, you know, kind of like Gandhi or, you know, there've been many wonderful religious spiritual teachers who have showed us new things, but he wasn't, he wasn't God per se. Well, if Jesus wasn't God, he can't do for us the things that we desperately need God to do for us. Or if we think that God wasn't actually human, like a lot of these guys were saying, that they, they were saying that, you know, he was kind of this hologram of, of a human being. He was all God. He couldn't, you know, mess himself up with all this humanity stuff. He was like this, this projection, you know. He wasn't totally human. The, then humans are still distant from God. So John was very upset about these false teachers because it's like cutting off the branch you're sitting on. It's like biting the hand that feeds you. It's like tearing down the house while you're still inside it. And that's why John was so upset about these other religious teachers. If Jesus wasn't God with us, then he can't bring us to God. Because the whole point is that Jesus is both totally human and totally God, and he can totally bring humans to God. John's letter is short. As we continue through it, you'll find it short. Uh, But in it, again and again, he talks about knowing. He uses the verb to know 15 times. He wants us to be assured, to be guaranteed of what Jesus has done. It's his theme through the whole letter, to know, to know for sure who Jesus is and what he's done. That we are God's children, that we're forgiven, that we have overcome evil, that we can be confident because of what Jesus has done for us. We aren't confident because of what we do. We're confident because of what Jesus has done for us. In this Bible passage we read this morning, we are told to say, I am a child of God. I know my heavenly father. Yes, I am strong. The word of God lives in me. I am forgiven and I have overcome the evil one. Now, some of us, we we, want to say, like, I'm a Christian. Uh, I have been introduced to my Heavenly Father. I'm I'm not weak, but I'm not strong, you know, kind of in between, happy medium. Uh, I have some familiarity with the Word of God. I can be forgiven, should should I ask? It sounds humble. It sounds religious. But it is not a good Christian thing to say. What Jesus does for us, he does all the way. 
Jesus' death and resurrection isn't like chipping into the bill of sin. Jesus' death and resurrection is paying it completely. God has adopted us as sons and daughters. He doesn't bring us over on random holidays when he feels like it. We belong with God. When we sell short our salvation, we are selling short the work of God. It's not about us. It's about him. The Bible says that we are saved, we're rescued, we're taken out of the sin and mistakes and jealousy and selfishness and greed and oppression and injustice of this world. We're rescued. Now, if, you, if you're on a boat and you, you fall off, you're on you know, a, a big ship and, and you fall overboard and you shout to the sailors, you're like, help, save me. And they throw you a life, a life raft you know, life, one of those little life preservers, right? That's good. You're happy about it. That's a step forward. You know, you've got, you've got something to hang on to. Is that being rescued? Is that being saved? Right? You're sitting there in the cold waves, hanging on to the life preserver. You're like, thank you for rescuing me, sailors. You can, you can go on. I'm not going to drown for the immediate future. No, you still need to be pulled up on board. You still need to get on that dock. You still want to have that warm blanket around you, right? That's being rescued. That's being saved. If you're like, oh, this is good enough. Go go on, guys. Like, the crew is capable of turning the boat around. They're capable of putting out a life raft. They're capable of saving you all the way. I'm pretty sure they can manage it. And Jesus is capable of saving us all the way. He can manage to save us all the way. What Jesus does, he does completely. He does 100%. In Jesus, we're forgiven. He does not remember or hold our past mistakes against us. In Jesus, we have freedom. Our past does not need to dictate who we are. In Jesus, we are reconciled to God. We have a good relationship with God and with other people. In Jesus, we are adopted. We are called sons and daughters, new creations in Christ. It's because of what Jesus does, not because of what we do. I want us to look at um, a story that happened with Jesus that might help us shed some light on this. Uh, John writes down this same story. He was with Jesus when this happened. Uh, John chapter 5. They went to a pool at Bethsaida, and a lot of uh, those who were sick or or had disabilities would come and lie around this pool, and it would uh, stir up, it would be bubbly, and they believed that when they got into this lake that they would be healed. And there was there a man who had been an invalid for 38 years. 38 years is a long time right? And Jesus saw him lying there. And he saw that he had been in this condition for a long time. And he asked him, do you want to be well? Do you want to get better? Well, sir, the man replied, I have no one to help me in to the water when it stirred up. When I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. I just, I can't. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And at once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and walked. This guy is saying, he's saying, I've tried. I am trying. No one helps me. He says, I know what I should do. I know what the steps are. I know when this happens, I'm supposed to do that. I got it. 
I know what to do. You know, I, I know what, how this works. I know the expectations. I know what the steps are. I've got it. I'm fine. Except he's also very clearly not fine. And nothing except a touch from Jesus will really change that. We can't do what Jesus can do. And when we try to do what Jesus has to do, we rob ourselves of letting God do what only he can do. We can't have confidence and security in Jesus if we keep trying to do it ourselves. When we let go, when we let Jesus do what only he can do, then we can be really secure and confident in God. And it's not just about what Jesus has done for us in the past. It's about Jesus, what Jesus will do for us in the future. As followers of Jesus, we can be confident that God will work out everything for our good. The gospel is not just the past action of Jesus to work things out for us. It is his continuing nature and his desire and will for us. We can know that he is on our side and everything will be okay. I think of one of the... uh, vineyard teens I know from a church uh, very close to my home in Connecticut and she went to the winter vineyard youth retreat we'll be going with our teens in February a friend invited her she said yeah I don't really have anything else going on this weekend why not So she goes, and uh, my friend, the youth pastor there, Grant, uh, at some point during the weekend, he comes up to her and he says, you know, I just kind of feel like the Lord's saying to you that everything's going to be okay. And she says, how did you know? He says, know what? And uh, she had just written a uh, poem, a song that week, entitled, Everything Will Be Okay. And the thing is, as a pretty high school girl getting good grades, you know, she was actually quite concerned that everything was not going to be okay. And she kind of believed in her heart that it was not going to be okay. She had a lot of anxiety. Home life was not uh, as great as it looked on on the outside. And she had just written this song saying, everything's going to be okay. And then this random youth leader comes up and says, everything's going to be okay. Not because you hope it will be, but because God says it will be. When we say it will be okay, what we mean is that God will work things out in the end. What we mean is that we can have peace in the midst of difficult circumstances. We don't mean that it's all going to end up how we want it to end up. I have a a colleague, a, a friend Um, in ministry, and she's older than me, and her daughter, um, just a couple of years ago, was 16, and started hanging out with, you know, a different crew she wasn't so happy about, Um, got a boyfriend, nothing wrong with this boy, but they started sleeping together, and um, my friend was not not happy about what was happening in her, her daughter's life, and she would just say, you know, at least she's not pregnant, at least she's not pregnant, because that would be the worst thing possible, you know, at least she's not pregnant, but these are healthy, fertile young people. Um, And her daughter got pregnant at 16. And her daughter tells her, um, and the next morning she comes down and she makes a cup of coffee. And she sits there and she drinks her cup of coffee. She's like, you know, this is a really delicious cup of coffee. 
She's like, how am I enjoying a cup of coffee when I've just found out that my daughter is pregnant at 16? And she started to realize that this might not be as bad as she thought it was going to be. Now, no one's saying that, you know, this is necessarily the ideal way. You know, her daughter took a little longer to graduate high school. um, But they had a beautiful baby boy added to their family. And as she looks at this, you know, a little ways out, she's like, you know what? It wasn't that bad. Everything was okay. And I think there's a power and a freedom that comes from when the worst quote-unquotes, quote-unquotes, the worst happens, and it's okay. And we realize that life goes on, and we have joy, and we have freedom, and we have found power over those things that in our minds we thought would be the worst. You know, I felt the same way when we were uh, church planting. We were church planting in uh, Providence, Rhode Island. And uh, I had so many hopes for it. I had big God dreams. And we, we moved there and we, we saw people start to explore faith and come to know, know Jesus. And we, we formed a group that was meeting at our house. And um, we moved there and didn't really know anyone. And then we had a big Christmas party in our house. And I, I was so excited for what was happening. But sometimes I would think, I'd think like, what happens if this doesn't you know, actually work out? What happens if we don't? plant uh, a vibrant, healthy church here, I thought, oh, that would be the worst. I'm not sure I could take it. I feel like I just have to like crawl into that corner and I just, I couldn't face it, right? That would be the worst. I'm not quite sure why I felt like this, like the statistics about church plants, if you're really really making it, aren't aren't great, Um, but I had big dreams for it. And then, you know, it just didn't quite launch. We didn't, you know, quite succeed at, at, at that. And you know what I realized? I was fine. Actually, I felt a, a freedom. The, the worst had happened. I, I had faced it. I had experienced this. And it was okay. I felt a freedom and, and a joy and a release that I would never have experienced otherwise. You know, we can't be fully confident if we hold on to control. We have to let Jesus control that outcome. When he's in control, we can be confident that he will accomplish his good plans. If we think our plans are what have to happen, this is the one target, this is the one goal, this is the only thing that can happen, well, then that is a cause for concern, right? If we've got one outcome, oh, you know, you better hold on tight to control, right? But when I can relax and let Jesus have control, I can be 100% confident that his plans will come to pass. I have to surrender to certainty in God. I have to let go of the things that do not matter. It does not matter what other people think of me. They're probably going to change their opinions anyways. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how much money you make. People will have you believing you have to make very large uh, figures, amounts of money to survive in this area. It does not matter how much money you make. It doesn't matter if we accomplish everything we want to accomplish right here and right now. People will say, you know, if I don't do this now, I'll never do it. Where did we get this idea? Are you going to like die soon, right? Like, no, you've got the rest of your life to accomplish things. You don't have to accomplish everything right here and right now on a certain timeline. I do have to hold on to what actually does matter. My relationships, those, those tinsel, uh, invisible connections that matter and influence so much. 
right? I have to hold on to those relationships. I have to take care of my soul. My soul is where I meet with Jesus. If my heart and my soul is abandoned and disused, if it's messy and chaotic, I can't meet with Jesus. I can't have good relationships if myself, my person is abused and, and, and not taken care of. I have to ultimately step out of certainty in myself and into certainty in Jesus. I have to step out of my preferences and my way of doing things into Jesus' preferences and his way of doing things, out of relying on my good ideas to relying on God's ideas, out of my one outcome into God's preferred outcome. This is conversion. This is real change, and this is what sets me free. Julian of Norwich was a famous Christian mystic and saint, and she said, all will be well, and all will be well, and all manner of things will be well. This is a famous line in the classics of Christian literature because in it she basically says, it's going to be okay. She's articulating the core of Christian theology as it speaks to our day-to-day lives, that God is in control that the kingdom of God is coming, that God is making all things right, and that he loves us. Christianity isn't about being right. Uh, It's about being loved. When we look at what Jesus has done for us, we can know, we can really know that God loves us, that there are no links that Jesus will not go to for me. There's nothing in my life that he does not want to be a part of. He has no negative thoughts about us. His thoughts are for our freedom and our thriving. God does not have a problem with people. People sometimes have a problem with God, but God does not have a beef with humanity. God loves us, all of us. And God is in a good mood. God is in a really good mood. He is feeling generous right now and always. He has grace for our mistakes. He is smiling. His whole being is love. And somehow you and I are in the center of it. It's not our job to make God happy. It's not our job when we behave well. You know, God says, thank you. You finally fixed that problem. Now the cross is worth it. The cross is worth it all the time to Jesus. God is happy right now. God is thrilled right now. God is in a good mood and he loves us. He loves us in our weakness when we mess up, when our souls feel shut off or chaotic or sad. God loves us without limit and reservation. An embarrassing, too much, over-the-top amount and we, when we step into his love, when we are confident of his love and what he does for us, not what we can do for ourselves, then we can have that security and that confidence and that freedom that we long for. As we end this morning, God wants us to overcome those nagging doubts and those uncertainties. God wants us to be confident in the faith that we can have in Jesus, that he is for us and he is on our side, and ultimately that everything will be okay. Let's stand together this morning. Worship team, if you guys want to come on back up, we're going to enter into a time of worship together.
This morning, we want to claim what Jesus has done for us. We want to say, yes, that's what I want. I want what Jesus has done for us. I want his death and his resurrection to just cover it, to cover the hard places in life, to bring me into new life with Jesus. We want to claim that for us. Take hold of what Jesus has done, to open our hands and receive the gift that Jesus has for us and to be confident and secure in it. Some of us, we take that gift, then we put it down. We wonder if we ever have had it right? We take that gift, we put it down, we wonder if we could take it back up again. But that's not how God gives us his gifts. He wants us to have it permanently, confidently, securely, forever. Let's pray together. Jesus, right now, we just receive what you've done for us, Jesus. We know that you've done it for us out of love. No matter where we're at, no matter if we really like feel and grasp that love. So we open our hearts and our minds to your love right now and we ask for confidence and certainty. It's good to question. It's good to um, explore our faith. We want to question. But Jesus, we also want to stand firm in knowing that we are sons and daughters of the Most High God, in knowing that we have overcome the evil one, knowing that God is for us, that we are strong, that the Word of God lives in us, that we are new creations in Jesus Christ. Speak your confidence and your certainty to us this morning, Jesus. Amen.